Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Season 2. We're so excited and grateful for everybody that's taken the time to listen to season one and all of our great episodes, uh, the great people that we've interviewed over the last uh, year. And so we're excited to have now season two kicking off. Um, and happy new year to you and everybody else that's joining us here um, this particular season. We hope to do the same thing that we did last year, bring you informative people from all walks of life in the areas of teamwork, leadership, and customer service and well as culture. That's the directions we like to focus in on. When we combine the three of those, teamwork, leadership, and culture, we truly believe, and I truly believe this, that's the TLC of business. And when we put those three together like a Venn diagram, that's what's gonna make our teams, our businesses succeed. Whether we're in sports, whether we're in uh, healthcare, whether we're in frontline business, assembly lines, it does not matter what our business is. Teamwork is the single greatest advantage that any one organization can have in today's complex, crazy society. This, this year, we're going to kick season two off with a gentleman that you may not know, but you're going to know his story over the years. So listen close as I go through the introduction, and we talk about Coach Jim Johnson from Rochester, New York. You know, it's basically based on what transpired in just a few short moments back in the early part of 2006. Coach Jim Johnson's now an authority based on that as a subject about realizing dreams. In many public speaking appearances in the Rochester, New York residence estate, his role as the basketball game got a Hollywood calling and a Hollywood ending. If you're familiar, back in February of 2006, Coach Jim Johnson just made a kind-hearted gesture to insert his autistic manager playing on the team, put him in near in the game as an autistic feature. He'd played and tried out several years for the team and never made the team, but he had the heart. And he put this young boy in named Jason McElwain, now known to the world as J-Mac. We're going to hear Coach Johnson tell us about his story, but let's just talk about what's happened because of that. The things in the lives that have been able to be changed over the years. Coach Johnson's made a number of television, radio appearances over the years, including Oprah Winfrey on ESPN with Jim Rome. In 2006, he met President George W. Bush, as well as Governor George Pataki, Senator Hillary Clinton, just to name a few of the luminaries. The Athena team in Greece, New York, in Rochester, paid a visit. It was also paid a visit by NBA legend Magic Johnson about the ESPN moment. And there's a special storybook ending on this story. I want to welcome Coach Jim Johnson. And Coach, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you, Greg. I've had an opportunity to listen to a number of your podcasts, and uh, it's, a, it's an honor to be with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And we're going to kind of continue things on. And first off, Happy New Year to you. And um, let's, let's get this year off, because let's face it, the last year has not been exactly kind to a lot of people. So I think it's time we hear a great feel-good story. And I, for one, had known of the story of J-Mac, and you and I have known each other for a couple of years through LinkedIn, but I never put two and two together until recently, and we're talking about the story. And so I was so excited to get you 
on here and talk about everything. And I'm sure that over the years, the story has um, blown up in different directions. <laughs> so um, first off, uh, are, are you still in touch with J-Mac? Yes, uh, because of the pandemic, I don't see him as much as I used to. But uh, uh, after that season, he actually came back um, uh, two years later and volunteered in my program. So uh, he was a volunteer assistant for nine years. So I, I during that period, I was seeing him almost sing, every single day. That's so, awesome. Uh, which was really neat because uh, we had a good, really good relationship in high school, but it continued to grow. And uh, you mm -hmm. know, and so well, let's let's go back a little bit. So you sure. put, the game that we're talking about was on uh, what February fifteenth, two thousand six. Right. But if we go back, let's go back a few years before that. And let's, let's walk us through this, the story here of uh, J-Mac and what came to be here. So just go ahead. I'll open it up and just let you go for it. Sure. So he tried out as a sophomore in high school. He didn't try out for basketball his freshman year. And he tried out for the JV. I was the varsity coach and the junior varsity team. And uh, at that point, I knew very little about autism, although it was starting to get a little bit more prevalent. But my JV coach came to me after a couple of days during trials. He says, Coach, this young man, Jason McElwain, he's, he's a little guy and he's not very good. He's on the autism spectrum and he's learning disabled. But man, he's got this big heart. He loves basketball and he loves the guys on a team. I want to keep him in the program. I said, well, what do you got in mind? He says, I'm going to offer him the team manager's job and let him practice with the team. And that's what he did. And at that point, I had been at the school about 10 years. So we had a pretty good culture going. But I will say early on, there were some trials and tribulations as Jason got used to his new teammates and his new teammates got used to Jason. But then I really started to see the kids and really embrace him because he was so into the team and he was always willing to go extra to do anything to help anybody out. In fact, it used to warm my heart because Jason would sit on the bench for the JV game. And I say sit. Not exactly, because he would get very emotional. And after the end of the game, he'd be what I call a tad disheveled. And it would warm my heart when I'd see the varsity players come out. It's one of them would walk over and he'd straighten Jason's tie out and tuck his shirt in and get him ready. And then he would sit on the bench for the varsity game. But what made Jason very unique to me was not that he was autistic or learning disabled, was his just his love and passion for basketball in our basketball program. And he was the only young man. I was a head coach for 30 years and 20 at the school uh, where I met Jason. And I never had a young man ever try out more than twice if they didn't make the team. Yet Jason, after his sophomore year, he, he tried out. He, and what I started to get to know him better um, between his sophomore and junior year because he started coming to all our off-season workouts. And I was picking him up at his house. And I really admired his, his desire and so he tried out for our, our varsity as a junior, and I brought him in after a few days of trials. Said, Jason, unfortunately, you're not good enough to make the team, but I'd like to offer you the varsity team manager job. Well, he quickly embraced it. And at that point in my career, we had had a lot of winning seasons, but I had this one big stumbling block. In our area, we called it the Section 5 tournament, and we had never won it under my direction. We had gotten to the semifinals uh, four times, or excuse me, five times in Jason's junior year. Uh, Jason and the first team meeting stands up, says, coach, I want to share with everybody something. And I said, what's that? He says, we have a slogan we're going to follow this year. We're going to stay focused and we're going to help you win your first section five championship. And I said, well, thank you, Jason. 
Well, we had another good season. We got this semifinal now for the sixth time in my career, and we lose at the buzzer to our crosstown rival. And we're devastated. Now, J-Mac was not a player, right? He was not a player. He was our team manager. So his senior is when he, he came out again and for the third year in a row and didn't. Uh, and when I brought him in the office, I said, Jason, unfortunately, I've got some good news and some bad news. He says, coach, give me the bad news first. And I said, unfortunately, you're not quite good enough to make the team. But I would like to offer you the team manager job. But I want to give you a gift because your commitment to a program. And the gift is I'm going to hopefully get you into our final game, which we call our senior night. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely going to give you a uniform and hopefully get you in the game. In fact, uh, I kid people that periodically you would ask me about that uniform. And of course I define periodically is about it every other day. <laughs> uh, so, well, the interesting thing, we had never won the sectional title going to Jason's senior year and we had a really good team. So I thought we, this might be the year we break the barrier. Well, we start the season off well. We win our first two games, and then we have a really adverse situation. We and I, it's too long to go into. I wrote a book about it called "The Coach and a Miracle," uh, but basically, we had a lot of internal strife where it divided our team. Uh, some was a little bit of a racial issue, and, and uh, it uh, really. Uh, hurt us. So in our next five games, I thought we'd win all of them. We lost three of them. And we, our turning point was we went into a Christmas tournament. And at that point, I think we were uh, uh, four and three and we weren't playing while we were divided. And we won in the first round of the Christmas tournament and the host school, the school called Fairport beat a team in the second game by like 50 points that we had barely beaten two weeks later. So it was during Christmas break. So I brought the team in the next day and I said, guys, uh, I want to tell you uh, during our shoot around, normally we bring out basketballs and we let them do some plays and shoot. I I didn't bring any basketballs out. I just sat them down in the bleachers and I shocked them. I says, guys, I don't want to go to the game tonight. And they looked at me in disbelief. And then I said, Unless we decide we're going to be a team, Fairport's going to beat us by 100 points tonight. And then the best thing I did as a leader, because at that point I got better, but not where I should have been, is I just opened it up. And I said, we need your ideas on how we can build this team back together. And they started to really talk. And by the end of the, the that session, we really – gotten some energy back and it, it reflected last, that night we played a great game although we didn't beat Fairport we lost to went overtime and it showed what we could do if we united and it, after that it wasn't like all uh cherries and roses but it, it got better and we actually won eight out of our next nine games going into senior night which on February 15th now here's the interesting part I want to make sure folks understand you're not talking about NBA players you're not talking about, you know, NCAA uh, Division One teams. You're talking right. about high school kids. Yeah. And they actually had the forethought and the ability to come together and speak openly like that. Yeah, it was really. That you did. Is there, some, is there some catalyst in there that drew that together? Well, we, you know, we had, we had built a pretty strong culture up to that division time. So they had witnessed it being in our program, you know, most of them were juniors and seniors, a few were sophomores on that team. 
so they knew what we stood for and what we were all about. It was just basically building out. But it was the other thing was, is I really told them, I said, unless we decide and share things with each other, we had started doing a little bit of that in, you know, team meetings. But and that was really the turning point because they finally said, you know what, uh, we're frustrated how things are going. We, we got to start coming together. And that's when they started to open up with each other. And it, it wasn't perfect. I mean, we had some debate on some different things. And, uh, but it, it really showed that, you know, we had to come together. And then, you know, when we played a really good game that night, it, it really reinforced in their minds that, you know, mm-hmm. the only way we're going to be successful as a team we, is we got to work together. And so, that, you know, and that's what happened after that. We really started to vault ourselves into, uh, you know, much better. Uh, and it was by far, it was not perfect. It was not like that turn, you know, the season where everybody all of a sudden was best of friends, but, but it, it definitely united the team. Okay. And that, that's the, the validation there is amazing. So now let's go. We're getting up to senior night um, in February of 06, February 15th. Um, right. By now, I'm assuming that Jason has uh, uh, worn you down a bit about his uniform. So I, I gave Miss Jersey on February 13th. In fact, there was a rumor going around school. They slept in it for two straight nights. <laughs> and uh, so that, that night, for me, I went through 30 senior nights as a head coach. And that's the night where we honor our seniors before the game. We bring out their parents or guardians. And that uh, will be a memory I always cherish to see Jason actually embracing his parents in his uniform instead of his white shirt and black Now let, Let's talk about the parents for just a moment. Sure. Through these three years, yeah. How is the parents? How were they involved? Uh, were they supportive? Where did they come down the line? Great question. Because the father was the uh, I actually ironically had never met his mother. His mother did not come to any games. If she picked him up from practice, she would stay in the parking lot. She never came to school. I never even knew which. I talked to her a couple times on the phone. The father was extremely supportive and came to all our games and basically, you know, picked Jason up most of the time in practice. So when he picked him up, he would come into the school. And so I had a great relationship with his father, uh, did not really know his mother. So, okay. uh, yep. But they were both there on senior night. They were both there on senior night. So, uh, the game begins and we had a really good student body following the ESPN did a really five, a nice five minute documentary. It's on my website if you, or go to YouTube, uh, the JMAC video. It's uh, quite powerful. Uh, but the, we had a student body following called the six men and they started chanting the opening tap. We want JMAC in case I forget, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, so the students yeah, were all behind him regardless of anything else. Right. Well, going into the game, I had a couple thoughts because I wanted to get Jason in, but I knew that I had to get all the other players in before I could put Jason in. And so I got everybody in after three quarters with just over four minutes left in the game because my thought process is I wanted to try to get him in for enough time so he could score a basket. I thought if he could score a basket, there's a memory he'll have the rest of his life. With just over four minutes, I pointed to him. He nearly ran the court. He was so excited. And then what happened next profoundly touched my heart and soul. When he entered the game, what I didn't know and what Jason didn't know, one of our parents made these pictures, these placards of Jason's face and put them on paint sticks and gave them to the students and asked if they, Jason got in that they'd show those. Well, when they did that, I got so touched. I sat down, which I rarely did in games, and tears are just flowing down my face. I couldn't believe how the student body embraced him. 
Well, the game now begins with Jason in his first varsity basketball game. The first time he touches the ball, he shoots a three-pointer from the corner. The crowd stands in anticipation. It misses by like six feet. And I, I, as I kid people, I know you're not supposed to pray in the public schools, but I was praying, dear God, please help him get one basket. But that was a great lesson we could all take from that was one of the few uh, many lessons that I picked up from Jason was that we had taught our players all the time what we called the statement next play and that you know basketball is a fast game so if you make a mistake you got to move on and to Jason's credit he really embraced that you know so because I think a lot of kids if that was the first game they ever played in and they shot an air ball like he did. They may not want to shoot again. That didn't stop Jason. So the next possession, he has a much closer shot from about 10 feet. And of course, I want to add a little drama. He, he hits the backboard, hits the rim, and it falls off. And I'm thinking, all right, God's starting to listen. We're getting closer. <laughs> and then the third possession, he shoots a, a three-pointer again, this time for the right wing. This time, magic. The place explodes. And I'm thinking... It can't get any better than this. Jason's got a three-pointer. Uh, but as I kid people, uh, Jason's boyhood idol is the late, great Kobe Bryant. And for the next three minutes, he literally turned into Kobe. He just starts making shot after shot. And the place is going crazier and crazier. And the two things I'll never forget, Greg, with about a minute to go, um, at this point, I know many, I had no idea how many points he has. And I get a tap on my shoulder. I look behind me and it's J-Mac's mother and she's bawling her eyes out. And she whispers in my ear, coach, this is the best gift you could have ever given my son. Of course, I'm so touched, I cried harder. And then this is how the game ends. You talk about really uh, almost a Hollywood ending is our, our opponent, Spencer Port. And I want to give kudos to their coach and their players. They were great sports that night. They scored about 10 seconds to go. And our player takes it out. Normally he throws it to our point guard, but for whatever reason, he throws it right to J-Mac. So when J-Mac's dribbling down the court, I look up and the clock's ticking down. And I thought Spencer Port was just going to let him go. Well, Jason pulls up like two feet behind the arc, almost an NBA three. I'm thinking, Jason, don't shoot for this way too far. You're going to ruin this moment. He launches this rainbow and swish. And I look over, our student body runs on the floor. Our players are on the floor. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm living the movie Rudy, but this is really happening. And then the last thing I'll never forget is Jason's parents have an interesting dynamic. His dad is six foot six. And his mom is five foot two. And you see this little bitty lady bobbing through the entire crowd. And she gets to Jason and gives him a big hug. And then our players put Jason up on their shoulders. He's got the game ball over his head. And I had no idea how many points he had. And our public address announcer comes on and says, the leading scorer for the Trojans, J-Mac, with 20 points. And, of course, my math brain, I'm thinking, if he played the whole game, he scored 160, which is pretty good. <laughs> so it was uh, truly a remarkable. And, you know, I, if we have time, I could uh, share what did happen at the end of the season, which was kind of the cherry on top. Well, that's, that's just amazing there. Now, I have to ask the question, did you guys win that game? Yes, we won actually quite easily. Okay. So you won that game. Um, so that was not the last game of the season. It was your senior night, which typically is right. your last home game. Last home game, and, and ironically, was the last regular season game. But not always did that happen. Sometimes your last home game won't be your last regular season game. But that was actually our last home game, as well as our last regular season. So, so now you're going on to Section 5 finals. Section 5 tournament, yes. Tournament. Yep. So, okay, what happened? So we, uh, 
just to give you very quickly, um, the word got out and I, I, the one thing I was very proud is that I didn't, I felt I did it for all the right reasons. We had no media there. The only thing I was responsible for the media is after the game, we had back then we call in the score and they usually would put a box score of, you know, high school games in our local newspaper. And I told him about Jason, I thought he might get a headline because, you know, it's, it's very unique what happened, but it, they actually gave us a headline saying the Trojans, our team nickname tied for the league title because we tied for the league title because that and it mentioned Jason but didn't much make much of a deal Jason's speech pathologist he had never come to a game but he came that night he was so touched the next day he called one of our local tv stations and said you've got to come and borrow the video from the ta- from the coach and they did and from there it progressively just exploded within four days we had CBS evening news and they did a major special then ESPN. And we just, the media just started going, it went crazy. I was Let's be clear. Play. This was 2006. Yeah. Before things hit that million view viral moment. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which, uh, right. So that, uh, you know, it did get up and ended up on YouTube where it mm-hmm. ended up getting a lot of views, but, uh, so, uh, it went from, you know, this calm, you know, we're trying to prepare for the tournament to the phones are ringing off the hook. Now we were going into what we call our February break where the students were off from school, but our players coming back, we're starting our tournament. So to take you through the tournament, the, we get a buy in the first round because we were high seed. Then we won in the quarterfinals and we won pretty easily. But to give you an idea of media attention after that game, typical post-game interview, People Magazine. So interviewed us. So it was just crazy. Well, the semi was J-Mac allowed to play in any of these? No. So G- the rule in, the, in our tournament is you had to play in six regular season games. And he knew that right up front. So he came back and he was great supporter as our team manager again. So, okay. We, okay. So, so then we get to the semifinals, you know, my big stumbling block. I'd been there six times with six different teams, never won. And we get up by 10 at halftime. And I'm thinking we're finally going to do this. We blow the entire lead, but we actually, uh, our kids rallied together. I, I was more positive with them than I had in the past. So it was something I learned. And we actually rallied in the fourth quarter. We won the game. We're finally going to our a Section 5 championship game. So that was on Saturday. And to give you an idea of the media attention in the next three days, we had a Japanese TV station come to our school. <laughs> it was just crazy. So Saturday was a championship game. And they all knew, though, that J-Mac was not going to play. They did, yes. It was just, okay. you know, because the story just exploded around the world. So people were coming in all the time, you know, with cameras and just wanting to get interviews and that kind of thing. And this so is Saturday, not like we're talking New York City at this point. We're talking Rochester, New York, not Rochester. not a top 10 media market. No, absolutely. So, uh uh, but anyway, so Saturday was our championship game, and we play at a downtown arena, which seats about 10,000 people. And normally for a championship game, we get maybe 4,000 will come. And we walk in the arena on Saturday night, and it's sold out. There's 10,000 people because the story just exploded. And uh, the one thing I'll never forget is uh, one of the TV stations asked to interview me, and then they said, Coach, can we interview J-Mac before the game? And I, I said, sure. So Jason was sitting in the first row. I was down on the floor. And I turned to him and I said, Jason, Channel 8 wants to interview you. He, he stands up. He says, Coach, it's time to get focused. No media interviews. <laughs> so I think we're ready, right? First championship <laughs> game I ever got involved as a coach. We're down like 14 to 3 after the first four minutes. But that was a, one of the leadership things I learned from all those losses. Is that this time I remained much more calm. We stayed 
together. And then uh, we actually really, it was a tie game with less than a minute to go. And our, we had the ball and one of my players penetrated and he threw it out to one of our other guards and he makes a three. So we're up three. Our opponent comes down, they miss a shot. There's a scramble for the rebound. I'm standing like this. And also they get tackled by my JV coach who's indicated we have won this section by champions first time. So we, it was, that was kind of the cherry on top. So what did J-Mac do when they won that championship there? Oh, he was, uh, he was leading the team. He, you know, the fact that I've ever, uh, our players all put him up on their shoulders. He had the game ball over his head, although he's in a shirt and tie instead of in a uniform. So it was yeah. pretty cool. The story there is powerful on so many different levels. You had mentioned in the story about, uh, I feel like you're living the movie Rudy and we've all seen the movie Rudy. Right. There's no doubt about it. The miracle on ice team of the 1980 hockey team doing the same thing. Right. So powerful and inspirational from the first person counting. What is it that you learned from that game in February of 06? What, what's something that you took away from that miracle game? Well, the first thing that jumped out to me, and there's certainly a number of lessons, but the, was the fact that, you know, we had had a lot of strife during the year. So I wasn't exactly, I knew the kids really liked J-Mac, but what really manifested in those last four minutes, I had never asked the players on the uh, floor to pass Jason the ball, yet in those last four minutes, they passed the ball every time. In fact, I still kid Jason, uh, you know, because I still talk to him quite a bit. And I said, Jason, I'm still looking for your first assist. You never passed the ball once. <laughs> um, but that really was a credit because those are kids, who, you know, normally didn't get a lot of chance to play. And usually mm -hmm. they, you know, they want to get some shots up. So that really showed to me what the essence of teamwork. And then I guess in a bigger framework, I'll say this other thing was that, uh, you know, one of the things that I used to teach my players all the time is the essence of perseverance, the, you know, that never give up mindset. Uh, and Jason was one of my greatest illustrations. You know, he tried out for our team three consecutive years. And why I believe he, that I wanted to give him a chance is because he made a commitment to us and it was a way that I could give back to him. Mm -hmm. It's like the Vince Lombardi quote. It's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Exactly. And of course, Absolutely. I've adapted that quote and changed it a little bit in my life. I say, it's not whether you get knocked down. It's how fast you get back up. Mm, yep. Good point. And that, that's been the story of my life. And, you know, listen to this with J-Mac. It's just, it's a powerful thing. Right. So let's ask you this question. When you are putting together a team, what are the things you're looking for? It's, it's about people. We, we, the one thing we've got to understand is that teamwork is about people any way we want to look at it. Right. So what are you looking at when you're trying to pick the right people for a team? In the movie Miracle, now granted, this is the Hollywood version of this. Right. Uh, Kurt Russell's playing uh, the part of uh, Herb Brooks. Mm -hmm. And they say to uh, the assistant coach, Craig Patrick says, coach, you're missing some of the best people. And here's the thing. And this is This is key. Herb Brooks, Herb Brooks' character, Kurt Russell says, I'm not looking for the right player. I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. Right. So when you're looking for the right people, what are you looking for? So that was something that it took me some time because, um, you know, talent is part of, you know, in athletics and, you know, in business as well. You know, you want talented people. So, but the, the other things we really put together, the ingredients, we wanted people that had drive. 
that they wanted to be the best they could be. Number two is that they were humble, that they could handle both success and, uh, you know, uh, difficulty with humility. Um, I think that was really important. And we wanted people that were uh, what we called the we over me attitude. We wanted team first people. And so those are the things that we really analyzed because we did a lot of work in the off season with our players. And if those guys, if those people were fitting those ingredients, they became very attracted to us. If they didn't, then we did some real work with them, talking to them individually, you know, about uh, here uh, is how we believe our culture is going to stay strong. And, you know, they either made changes or they probably didn't stay with us. So, um, but I think that's really important in leadership is that you have clarity of the type of people you want on your team. Um, and certainly talent is part of it. You know, we weren't picking guys that were terrible basketball players. You can't do that. But no, uh, sometimes no. we would put a guy, uh, I would cut a guy that was better than someone else just because I knew he couldn't handle a particular role um, to benefit our team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's, that's absolutely key. Everybody's got to understand their role and how they fit on a team. Um, one organization uses the phrase, uh, they hire the least common denominator of skill and then because they can coach the skill levels up, but right. then they go from there. So, yeah, obviously you would not want to put me on a basketball team because I have a hard time just simple dribble. <laughs> so, you know, and I get that. So that, that's 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 so powerful. Um, we're running a little tight here on time, but I do want to get to one particular thing here. You've got seven keys about being an effective leader. You want to share those with us? Sure. So, uh I'll go through those, and, and this really happened. I'll give you a very quick story. Is that I I was 25 years old when I became a head coach at another school, and I thought I knew everything about coaching, and I did such a great job. I led that team to 17 consecutive losses, and then they let me go after one year. So that was uh, I started my varsity basketball career in a very humbling note, and mm-hmm. that's when I really realized that I needed a lot of work on becoming a better leader that, that helped mold teams. And so it, this has been a process that I started to develop. And, you know, and now this is one of my presentations. I talk about seven keys to be an effective leader. So with those seven, first one is, is clarifying your vision. Uh, and what I'd share with uh, people is I think to be a great leader, the first person you got to lead is yourself. So I, I really believe that you should discover your personal mission statement. Uh, you know, and that was something when I read Dr. Covey's book, The Seven Habits, is something he really emphasized, and I really learned from that. Mm-hmm. And I'm very clear about my my mission, and because of that, I think it helped me become a much better leader because I they knew what I stood for, and I knew what I stood for. I think that's really powerful. Right. The second part of vision is certainly you got to have clarity about what your program, your business is all about. For us, it was to develop winners on and off the court. And my job as the leader was defining what it takes to be a winner on the court and what it takes to be a winner off the court, because we wanted to develop um, complete people. Um, The second one is building trust, which uh, one of the things I find, uh, you know, because I talk to a lot of leaders is that they don't really have, they know, everybody knows trust is important. The problem is, is they don't have any plan on how to build it. Yep. And, and so that was something that we spent a lot of time in, and, and three components where we spent a lot of time in building trust. One is that we wanted to um, uh, build things on basing the truth. So telling people the truth. 
Two is that we wanted to make sure that we were um, we were open to and be vulnerable to admit when we made mistakes. And the third thing is, is we wanted to make sure that we try to catch people doing right more than trying to catch people doing wrong. Uh, and those were just some of our basic foundation when we built our trust foundation, because you can't move forward as a team if you if you don't have trust amongst the uh, absolutely, so, absolutely. I, I, that's the area that I think is the key core foundation of any team. Yeah, absolutely. I'm hundred percent with it. So the third one was. Uh, what I call creating the edge. I believe as a leader, you need to keep growing yourself and growing your players. And so you're always trying to seek ways that you can create an edge. I'll give you one quick illustration. We, we were ahead of our time. You know, it's very uh, common now, but back years ago, rarely did any team have a strength coach. And I actually hired an outside strength coach. I always talked about having other voices, which I think is important as a leader. Uh, and that really helped our team because in our last uh, after we won that sectional championship in my last 10 years, we made the finals eight times and won six. So after never making the finals in my first 20 years as a head coach, that turned around dramatically. Um, the fourth one is effective communication. And I mentioned a little bit about the story about meeting with a team and, the, and, you know, I think it's nice to be able to be a powerful presenter. I think it does help. And, and I improved in that area. Now it's what I do for a living. But it, the thing that I really learned in my journey as a leader is that I had to develop and become a much better listener and ask more questions. And when I did that, I, my, our program exploded. You know, we started to have great, great success. The fifth key is a simple one, but we often forget it. And that is a lead by example. And we used to always tell our players, you're always on stage. No matter where you are, you're always on stage. And that was something that I learned the hard way because uh, I, I was usually pretty calm during the season, but I wanted to win that sectional championship so bad that in the heat of in the postseason tournament, if things didn't go well, I did not control myself well. And when I made that change during the postseason, that's when our team started to explode because they could look as me as the rock, not the guy that was, was falling apart. The sixth key is what I call leaving a profit, which is uh, my leadership philosophy. Basically, our philosophy, and we would talk about that every single day, is everything that we get involved in, we want to make better, not worse. You know, and I give a simple illustration, like our expectation when we would go to an opponent's uh, school, if we went in the locker room, I would lead in. And if I saw a piece of garbage on the floor, I would pick it up. You know, and, and we're just trying to build those things that everything we do, we want it to get a little bit better, not worse, which leads me to the last one, which is servant leadership to me is the essence. And when I was able to start becoming more of a servant to my players and asking for more input, like one of the things I in, in implemented probably in my last 15 years, which is really powerful, was having a weekly captain's meeting. So I was always doing a weekly check-in. And in those meetings, the agenda was basically three things and they were all questions by me. How's the chemistry? How can we do a better job coaching it? You, uh, you know, is there any issues on the team that you can help us with? So, you know, I, I really went in with those meetings of just asking questions and, and wanting their feedback be back and input on how mm -hmm. we can improve the team. And, you know, I think the, the, the main thing is, is I 
felt myself becoming a better leader is because I did two things consistently. I continued to grow myself. And secondly, I spent a lot of time working on growing leaders. That's powerful because uh, it's been said that if you check the um, genealogy of NFL coaches, you'll find that many of those go back to, and the, the founder of so many of the great coaches in the NFL today is Bill Walsh from the San Francisco right. 49ers. Yep. because of that exact thing right there is building better leaders. Yep. And that's so powerful to, to pick up on that. Wow. Have you ever, uh, uh, I forgot exactly. I think it's the score takes care of itself by Bill Walsh. Did you ever read that book, Greg? I've heard of it. I've not read that one. No. Yeah. Excellent read. You, you could, mm -hmm. you know, when you brought up Bill Walsh, that's the first thing I thought of it is uh, that's why he was so successful. So talking about books, you, you mentioned a book early on. I, it's uh, a coach and a miracle. I, I, I didn't pick up on the title of the book. Your yeah, it's called The Coach and a Miracle. And mm -hmm. it was written as, as a life lessons book. I uh, uh, released it back uh, almost a decade ago. And then we revised it when I retired from coaching in 2016. We added the like a, an additional epilogue and we put it in paperback. Uh, and ironically, now I'm working uh, because I've done a lot of leadership presentations in the last four or five years. Um, I, I work with a small team and they've been on me for years. Coach, you've got to write a leadership book. Well, the pandemic uh, gave me some time to really think. And I fortunately, I partnered with a local college professor and we we're going to focus on writing a leadership book for young and emerging leaders. And so we started the process a couple months ago and our goal is to have it published by the end of the year. So. By the end of 21. Yes, yes. Okay, make sure. Because for those not really picking up on this, this is we're doing this uh, uh, podcast early in January of uh, 2021. So I want to make sure everybody understands we're talking the new year here and right. what you're looking at. Yep. Coach, the story of J-Mac is incredible. What's one thing that you've learned from him as a human being? Being on the autistic spectrum and everything else, a lot of times we, we discount those players, those people in society. What's the one thing you've learned from J-Mac? It, it's a terrific question because there's certainly a lot of things I've learned. Um, I'll give you two. I think one is that to me, he's the essence of that never give up mindset, perseverance, mm -hmm. resilience, whatever you want to call it, grit, uh, because he mm -hmm. just had the desire to keep giving his best day in and day out. And I really admire that because it's very easy to talk about that, much more difficult to do. The other thing is that I think one of the major reasons why you saw the team embrace him because Jason was a giver first. He was always the first guy at practice. You know, like if people wanted to do some extra shooting after practice, he would rebound for them. You know, he would bring snacks to the guys. He was just a giver first. You know, I, I, I remember this statement. I can't recall who said it, but it was really powerful. It said, uh, instead of being a go-getter, be a go-giver first. Yes. And that yes. really struck me because that's what Jason was. You know, he, he had a lot of passion for the game of basketball, but he was a, a giver first. I used to belong to a networking group uh, when I was in the mortgage banking business, and we had structured a, um, a networking group specifically around small business uh, entrepreneurs, uh, salespeople. And I said, if you're here in this group to get leads, you are in the wrong place. If you are here to give leads, we welcome you. Because right. when you give, you will get. Right. 
And when we embrace that philosophy, it's amazing. That group stayed together for about 14 years with wow. six of us, six people in that group consistent through all 14 years. That's awesome. Which is, is the powerful part. Yep. You know, when we look at everything like that, it's, it's that. Uh, when you mentioned uh, never quit and never give up, there's a poem. I want to suggest people just Google the term uh, never quit poem. It is powerful. It's a, it's a uh, piece that's written. It's anonymous. Nobody knows who wrote it, but I've had it on my wall since the early 1970s. Even before I graduated high school, somebody gave that to me. And yeah, so that was just powerful that I've held on to. That's a, that's a great poem. I, 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 you struck a chord there because I read that poem, I think, to almost every team I ever coached. <laughs> <laughs> when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, and the road you're trudging seems all uphill. When the funds yeah. are low and the debts are high, you want to smile, but you have to sigh. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Yep. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, Coach, it's absolutely been a pleasure to have you on board here with the uh, beginning of Season 2 on the Teamwork Advantage. Uh, we invite you to come back again, folks, next week. We'll have another person sharing their stories, their thoughts, their ideas on teamwork, leadership, and culture. Until next week, remember, do not have a good day because that's just being average. You're not average, so go make it an awesome day. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.